Thank you for choosing this Dream Center podcast. Don't forget to subscribe for further updates. Continuing from where we've been, because the Holy Ghost is not stopped. He's not saying something new. He's continuing. Amen. And I know if you're new here this morning or you haven't been for a while, you'll pick up the, the gist of where we are. Don't worry. But uh, God has been sovereignly moving in our house. When we say house, we mean church. And, which, you know, God wants to show, show up and show off, if I can use that word. God wants to show the world is alive. Amen. Easter for many is about the bunny and the chocolate and the bank holiday. But for us, it's more than that. It's just, it's an opportunity to tell the world that it's not an event that took place. It's an event that is taking place. Every day, Christ is rising in our hearts. Every day, he's moving the stones of our thinking and our, and our uh, you know, obstacles in life. God's moving it. Why? Because he's alive. He's doing something. What's the point of being alive if you're not, mo- if you're not moving and working? So for us... We're trying to tell people, show people that this God is alive. And God has been showing himself in this house many, many, many ways. We're not dead as a church, we're alive. And we're not, we're not just saying that because, you know, we, we believe it. We are seeing the evidence in the testimonies we've been hearing over the, over the previous weeks. We've been hearing how God has been changing lives. And how God is moving. Yes? You see, if something is alive, there must be evidence that something or someone is alive. Yes? It's no use saying there's life out there, Jim, but not as we know it. If you don't know it, you've got to be able to put your finger on it and say, that is, that is moving. That's changed. When they did this, this has changed. Got, there's got to be proof that your life is changing. Many people say they believe, but they don't have any evidence. They cannot prove Christ is alive in their life. Do you know that? I can prove that Christ is alive to myself. First of all, I've got to prove to myself that he's alive. I've got, to prove me, I've got to prove to myself or convince myself when I look in the mirror that God is doing things with my life. And those who, who know you can see that your life goes from one degree to another. But those who don't know you would never know unless they start speaking to you and then they sense something's different within you. Like that girl did the other way. I shared how this girl in, in the sauna was talking to Phil and I and she said, what is it about you two? Your conversation is different from everybody else's. Maybe it's because we didn't swear. I don't know, she didn't, she didn't quantify what it was. She just picked up something was different. And I said, it's me, not him. <coughs> However, she picked up something different. Your life must have evidence and proof that God is rising in your life. Or other than that, it's just an historical fact that you believe. You know, many people don't believe the Holocaust actually took place. They deny it. But you know, the evidence is there. People today are talking how they went through it but some people are so blind they say no it didn't take place they're making it up hello so when you come and give your testimony to people and say jesus christ is alive no no it's just an historical event no no it's working it's working forget the historical event this is this is reality it's working now today and you've got to be able to show people the convincing proof that christ is alive you may appear to people for 40 years Jesus had 40 days. He appeared to them for 40 days. You may get to appear to some people for 40 days, but 40 days or 40 years or 40 weeks, it does not matter. Show them evidential proof that Jesus Christ is alive and well in your life. 
You know, I'm going to ask John to come up and quickly share a testimony. As I'm going to speak, no, I'm going to ask this, John. You, I'm going to, you come up later. John, you come first. You'll all get your chance. Don't worry. Come on, John. And I want to just, as I'm speaking this morning, I'm going to interject with testimonies of proof that Jesus Christ is doing what he's, he says he's doing. And he's been doing what he says he's been doing in this arena, what we've, we, you know, we call church. Sorry, right, John. Don't worry. I'm getting to you in a minute. <laughs> Stay with me. Stay with me. God, over the last couple of months, has been breaking out in this church. And we're having testimonies, incredible, powerful testimonies of how God is changing lives. And I want you to hear a few of them this morning. So, far away, John. Morning. Um, I'm going to be very brief uh, because I've got um, two testimonies to share uh, this morning. Um, I'll kill what they call um, two beds with one stone. Uh, the first one is, uh, you know, when Pastor uh, uh, Peter and uh, Pastor Karen were here, I had an opportunity to be prayed for, and uh, he prayed for me. Um, I didn't fall down, and he was so brief and so concise. Um, but, you no, know, in that short prayer that he prayed for me, uh, things happened in my life. You know, he spoke of two things, and um, the first thing that he spoke about is actually a confirmation of something that happened 10 years ago back home in Africa. You know, um, he brought the word that another man of God, Pastor Fisher from America, uh, prophesied upon my life, and that's the word uh, Pastor Peter also spoke. And, uh, you know, when you look at the time frame, that's 10 years ago, the same way that came to me that time, came to me even this time, and these two people live, you know, in two different parts of the world. The other one is in Australia, the other one is in America, but the word came exactly as it came the other, you know, the other time. And when I went home, I spoke to my wife, I said, no, you know, I was prayed for by Pastor Peter, and this is what he said. And immediately she said, Pastor Fisher said, yes, exactly. So he was spot on. You know, it's like he confirmed what the other pastor prayed, um, prophesied over my life many, many years ago. And you know, I thank God for that. And it's like in my spirit, I felt like God was saying, don't think I forget. You no, know, God doesn't forget. So that was a confirmation. I thank God for that, and I embraced it, and I'm still carrying it. Then the other thing that he, he, he spoke about is something which I didn't understand. I didn't get it uh, right away. No, I went home and uh, prayed over it. Then the following Sunday, I think, no, it was last Sunday, you know, um, Pastor Tony had a word with me over the same uh, uh, prophecy. And what Pastor Tony said is actually exactly what the thought I had when I prayed over it, you know. And Pastor Tony told me that, no, if the way that he spoke to you is maybe not what you think it is, then take it as a warning. And that's the way that came to me. That, you know, the first prophecy, the, the, the first word was right right away, the spot on, 
And the other one, did he miss it? Then I said, no, he didn't miss it. There should be something that God wants me to know. And that was a warning. So in that prophecy, there were two parts. There were two sections. One was a promise, which was confirmed. The other one was a warning. And I have to embrace both of them. So I took both of them. Then lastly, the other one is uh, last Sunday when we had building in the spirit, we had a very wonderful time. We had a very powerful moment and uh, we had a breakthrough. As we were praying, there's this word in the book of Romans that came to me. You know, uh, at one stage I tried to look for it. I couldn't find it. When I went home, I thought I'll go and check it at home. I, it's like somewhere I forgot. I didn't, I didn't look for it. The Sunday night, you know, when I went to sleep, somewhere in the middle of the night, I woke up for no reason, no. And there, thereafter, I couldn't sleep again. Then I said, "What's happening?" So I, I decided to pray. I just prayed and thought I'll sleep again. I didn't sleep. The way the same word came to me. The way that came to me, I, I, I won't read the the, the the whole the whole verse in the book of Romans. It's Romans eight, um, verse twenty-six and twenty-seven. No, um, to, to, to get the whole concept, if you read the whole of chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, it talks about breakthrough in the, in the Holy Spirit. Now, 26 talks about, it says, in the same way, the, the Spirit helps us to pray in our weaknesses. You know, we do not know, or we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groans that cannot be expressed so the way that came to me is groans that cannot be expressed, that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses to pray. Now, as we were praying, I felt a breakthrough last building in the Spirit. But one word came to me, it's like the Holy Spirit has given expressions to some of us that we need to express through those groanings. Now it's like we are holding him back, you know. And the way that came to me is that once... The Holy Spirit puts on you any utterance, any expression, any tongue. That's your tongue. Do not listen to the tongue next to you. or Do not, do not listen to the neighbor, to somebody who is next to you. But listen to him. Some tongues will come as groanings and the words cannot express. But the Holy Spirit himself knows that because the Bible says intercedes. So do not... Do, do, do not underrate or do not shut any, any tongue. And do not think the tongue I should pray for or the, 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 the utterance that I should pray for is the one that that person or that person is praying for. No. Each one of us has got his. The Holy Spirit will give him or her your own, your own tongue, your own utterance. Amen. You know, Phil and, and I have been reading a book. I've read it before, and Phil's put me back on the page to start reading it again. It's Catching the Waves of Revival. And what you're saying, John, is the very thing that Phil's just reminded me of. One, of. one of the things in the book, it talks about how the Holy Spirit, he wants to groan, and he uses you and I. When you start praying, you feel things. And as you pray, it's almost like, we'll use the word groan. And, it, and, and the, uh, this book tells us that at this point of revival, you must not shut it down because the Holy Spirit is taking you to the next level. And everything, it's almost like a baby ready to birth. 
you know, and the woman cries and there's a lot of groans and screams, so they tell me, you know. Uh, and by her pushing, the baby comes out. And this is it, as we carry the life of God within us, the Holy Spirit wants to see it birthed on the earth. Amen. So if you, you know, that, thanks John for sharing that. If you've got your Bibles, go to Matthew 27. <clears throat> the reason why I'm, we're talking like this is because there's so many people who are not yet made, who I should say, who are not yet conscious about what God is doing. You hear it, you see it in others, but you still haven't put the dots together. You still don't see that God is moving, God is alive, God is real. God is moving in the person at the side of you. And sometimes, because of familiarity, we say, ah, well, it's just that person. They're a little bit, you know, exuberant, they're a little bit charismatic. Hey, well, why don't you take a leaf out of their book then? The Bible says this in verse 20, uh, sorry, Matthew 27, verse 50. And Jesus cried out in a loud voice. He didn't whimper, a loud voice. And he gave up his spirit. That's powerful. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks split. The tombs broke open and the bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Listen what's going on here. Wow. And they came out of the tombs. And after Jesus' resurrection, they went into the holy city of Drosden and appeared to many people. And when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified. I bet they flipping was. And they exclaimed, get me out of here. No, they didn't. Surely he was the son of God. But can you see, you know, and sorry, then go to John chapter 11 very quickly. Before I make a comment about this, let me just read these two scriptures together. John 11 verse 43. It's about Lazarus. Jesus is now, Lazarus has been, is dead, is in the cave and Jesus approaches on, on the scene. And when he had said this, we're halfway through the, through the event here, Jesus called in a loud voice. So when he was on the cross, he was in a loud voice. And when he's on the earth, it's a loud voice. Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out. His hands and feet were wrapped with strips of linen and clothes around his face. Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So in the scripture, we have a few things happening in Matthew. We see that whatever happens in the heavens happens on the earth. The, earth, the heavens and the earth are working jointly together. You must see this. Heaven and earth is working together. And this is how our Christian life must be. You must be working with heaven and heaven will then work with you. When you sync your life with what heaven's doing and heaven will release itself into you. Because the whole point, the whole purpose of the church, the whole purpose of you being a Christian is that you manifest heaven on the earth. We shouldn't have to wait to die. We shouldn't have to die before we go to heaven. We can experience heaven on the earth. When miracles break out and lives get changed, that's heaven kissing earth. If heaven is just for dead people, then what would be the point of heaven? Now, we know we have to die to get from here to heaven, but heaven's not full of dead people. Heaven's full of live people. Amen. 
But getting from here to there finally is a process called death. But the Bible says that though we die, we're actually alive. We're made alive in Christ. So our hope is that by meeting Christ face to face and living with him forever, there is a work for us even up there. Amen? But right now, heaven and earth are working jointly together. This is powerful. And what happens is, <coughs> later on in scripture you read that whatever you bind on heaven, bind in heaven will be bound on earth, and whatever you bind on earth will be released in, bound in heaven and released and so forth. Heaven and earth are working together. Amen? God isn't out there in the cosmos leaving us on our own. Heaven is invading us every day. If you switched on to it. If you're conscious of it. That is the question. If. So anyway, first, first we see uh, here on earth, Jesus gives up his own spirit. That is a powerful thing. To give up your spirit. Everything he was, he gave up. After that loud voice, he gave it up. That was it. He was dead. The power to lay down his life. The power to say, here I am, Lord, take me. Gave his spirit up. The first thing we see, Jesus gives up his own spirit. And as he does that, look what happens. Heaven responds. And the curtain, which went from top to bottom in heaven, was torn. Soon as Jesus did what he did, heaven responded. Why? Because heaven was saying, the way has now been made. There is no veil separating man from God. Jesus has now made the way. Amen? So now, all that came after Jesus could go all the way, as Paul read to us this morning in a scripture during our worship time, that we could go all the way, we'd be, we wash, we're cleansed, we can go all the way into his presence. Why? Because of what Jesus did. And here we see the curtain is being torn and the veil is being removed. Yeah? Back to the earth again. What happens? The earth then shakes. The, the earth shakes violently and the tombstones begin to open. And as they begin to open, the bodies of many holy people are risen from the dead. So earth, ha- earth acts, heaven responds, earth then responds. And it's like the game of table tennis here. It's going on. But it started on the earth. It was acknowledged in heaven. And then the earth again receives what heaven's doing. The dead are then released. They come out of Abraham's bosom. And now they can make the journey. They go into the city. No doubt they must have freaked a lot of people out. Can you imagine the dead going into the city? And saying, hello, I'm your Uncle Johnny. I was dead, but behold, I'm now alive. Ah, they freaked out. I thought we were there at the funeral, Johnny. It's an insurance scam. I'd say I told you he wasn't dead. And here's Johnny. He's been risen from the dead. And what takes place is just a phenomenon, never been seen before. Heaven responds, earth responds, heaven responds, earth responds. All the time, heaven and earth are working together. All you need to do is hear the word from heaven and you can get someone out, out the grave. You can. Wow, it's a powerful thing. And then they were so terrified that they came out with a line, surely he was the son of God. I think my words might have been a little bit different. I don't know about you, but I think I just may have had a few expletives in there. And uh, I may have had a few, you know, fearful moments and a few fearful words. Seeing all that kind of stuff, the dead raised. Do you know, in many cultures around the world, this is true what I'm saying. Many people, especially in Islamic nations, the, the people, when they want to pray, they'll go to the graveyard. Why? Because it's the only place they can get peace. And it's the one place that no one expects anyone to be found praying. 
If you go to a church, then the government might be watching you or following you. But if you go to the graveyard, no one's, no one's going to listen and tap in on you, are they? The dead ain't going to tell. But what happens if you're in that graveyard and they all started to, all the graves started to open up and you'll start praying, get back in, get back, you're going to get me in trouble. Can you imagine? If you started praying in the graveyard, maybe we should all go down to Southern Cemetery and hold a prayer meeting in there. Can you imagine what would happen if, if all the dead started to raise in that place? Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, what a moment that would be. And then we see Jesus speaking to Lazarus. And then we see that Lazarus is almost like a forerunner and a picture of the crucifixion. Why? Because he's been there, he's been lying in the tomb, stinking for four days. Yes? He's been lying there, stinking for four days. But Jesus has total authority in his spirit. And he speaks to him, Lazarus, get out, come out, rise up. And all of a sudden, Lazarus begins to rise. And Jesus is showing us that even on earth, the dead will rise. Authority is overcoming death. Authority overcomes death. See, the last thing was death itself. But when you've overcome death and you've got the keys to life and death, even you can speak to death and reverse it. And the first place you've got to reverse death is in yourself. Yes? So, go to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse uh, 13. He says, when tempted. Who's ever been tempted? Oh, come on, you've walked past shops, so you've been tempted to buy that cake or that, you know, that dress or those shoes or that, that electronic goods. You know, you've been tempted to buy that car or whatever it is, you've been tempted, we've all been tempted. But it says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. God made me do it. No, God didn't make you do it. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, comma, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then after de- desire is conceived, he gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. So let's break that down. His own evil desires. Who's ever got, who's ever had a, a desire? Who's ever had an evil desire? We've all had evil desires. Well, not me, because I'm holy. Of course you have. The Bible says if you've not sinned, you're a liar. Yeah, and my Bible says, no, liars get in heaven. His own evil desire. Everyone has a desire. Even right now, you may have a desire to come and throttle me as I'm speaking. Hold back that desire. It's not a good one. (laughs) The next thing it says, when temptation drags us away, it entices us. So look at the work of temptation. Temptation has one purpose, to drag you away. To drag you away. It has a mission all of its own. Is to corrupt you. To drag you to a bad place. To take you to an ugly place. And we've all been tempted. We've all got evil desires. But you know sometimes we're we're unconscious of the fact that we can be tempted. Or who is tempting us? I think we're more alive to the fact that we can all be tempted. I think we're all ignorant to the fact that the one who, well not all, many are ignorant to the fact who is tempting Yes, not all temptation is evil. Some temptation is just not good for you. It's not good for your body. It doesn't profit you. Yes, not every temptation is evil, but there are evil temptations. Why? Because they drag you away. 
Yes? Now, a chocolate cake doesn't drag you away. That's not an evil desire. That's a fleshly desire. That's a bodily desire. Yeah? Doesn't necessarily drag you away. But an evil desire will drag you away. And then it says, when desire is birthed within us, desire is the drive or the engine needed to drive you in a particular direction. Desire. Temptation is one thing, but desire is the engine. As you wait and meditate on it, as you think about it, it begins to grow within, inside you, doesn't it? And it begins to become a very powerful force within you that you just can't say no. Two, sexually, if men are looking at women, you, that second look or that you start looking for more than two or three seconds, you're gone. Instantly, it will take you. And before you know it, you've gone down a path you never, ever thought you were capable of. All because of the second look. That's why we've got to guard ourselves. But if we're unconscious of the fact that we can be dragged away, because many people think, well, they're my private thoughts. Who's going to know my private thoughts? So I've looked at another woman, or I've looked at another man today, or I've thought about this, or I've thought about that. Who's going to know? God's watching. God's listening. But you and I don't always think that he's watching or listening, but he is. Why? I'm going to show you in a minute. And then it says this. So it starts with a desire. Temptation drags you away. Then it develops a little bit further, and it gives, then it births, should it? Then it desires to be birthed. Yes? So sin is birthed then. So now we've produced from a temptation, we've now produced sin. So in the factory, inside here and in your heart, temptation, it then, when you mull on it and, and play with it, it then builds and births something called sin. Sin is birth. Sin is real. Yes? Then sin, when you develop sin and let it grow, because sin does grow. Yes, it's not a final state. When it comes into you, it's not a final state. Sin develops and looks for other ways to completely ruin you and corrupt you. Yes? So then when you give it corruption, and when you give it more ground, it has a gestation period. It, it comes in you and then it develops. Then what happens is it goes from one degree of glory to another. Oh, it's not glory, depravity. Yeah, it develops and takes you from one degree to another till eventually it takes you into utter depravity. But if you're not conscious, if you do not have a consciousness about sin in your life, that's where it will take you. And many people do not know, do not have a consciousness of sin in their life and then they allow it to take them to places that are ugly. And the last one, it gives birth. What does it give birth to? Death. Death is the final result. Now, let me just tell you, what does it mean by death? Death is not physical death, though sin can take your life. It starts first spiritually. It kills you spiritually. Let me say that again. Before it ever manifests itself in any physical realm, it kills you spiritually. It kills the life of God within you. Yes, it shuts the Holy Spirit down. It makes you dead to God. And you become alive to sin, but dead to God. And then you end up, what happens? You end up in a cave like Lazarus. Your life ends up stinking. You can be there for 40 days, 40 years. Your life can be taken for long periods of time. And then it takes someone to come and speak to get you out of the cave. That your temptation 
and your lack of conscious to the, uh, consciousness to the Holy Spirit, when you ignored those things, depravity came in, it took you to a place, and now you're in a cave like Lazarus. And everyone can see it, but you can't. I've been there. And then it takes someone with some revelation, someone, all because you gave your spirit up to something you shouldn't. And it takes someone who's kept hold of their spirit and kept it clean, uncontaminated, to speak the word of God to you, the word of life to you, to say, Lazarus, you're in a cave, come out. And then you might resist that call. You can hear it, but you resist it. And then there's another process. You can hear the call. He didn't say how many times he called. He just said, Jesus said. We don't know how many times he called. I would take, take it literally. He just called and he came out. When Jesus has, see, volume doesn't equal authority. Try, try screaming at your kids and see if it works. It doesn't. There's something about Jesus' voice that carried a dynamic of authority. And it had a bit of volume. And there was times when Jesus' voice didn't shout and he still had the same authority. So we know volume is not the issue. But in this particular case, he used his voice to speak to a spirit, a spirit called death. Yes? Now, sometimes when I'm speaking or you're speaking to other people, you do not know what spirit you are addressing. If someone's dead, then it takes a little bit more life in you to speak to their to the death. Why? Because temptations dragged them away. It seized them. They're in a cave. It's a blind spot. They can't see it. They're totally disconnected. But inside their heart, they want to get out. And once you make them alive to this word, to the fact that Jesus Christ is still, he got off the cross and he's still calling people out the grave. He's still calling people out the cave. Your voice carries an extra dynamic. Because now we're rescuing people. Now we're bringing, not only we're we rescuing, we're giving life to them. But first of all, you must be conscious of the fact that you need that same life. And we all needed a Jesus to come and speak to us and say, Tony, a Jenny, a Carol, a Laura, whoever it is, come out. See, coming out is only one aspect, but then taking the grave clothes off, ah, that's completely different. So listen to what he says here in Psalm 32. Well, as you turn into your Bibles, uh, to Psalm 32, let me just give you what un unconsciousness means. As you turn into your Bibles, unconscious means lacking moral sensory awareness of the environment. You're not aware of one's actions, behavior, a lack of awareness or intention of an unconscious blunder. So easy to let your heart go cold and then become conscious. You see, when you're a Christian... Your heart is made alive, your consciousness is switched on, and the Holy Spirit starts speaking to you about, don't do that, son. This is not good for you. And you start listening to him. And after a while, you start ignoring him. So the Holy Spirit says, son, I've told you, don't do that. It's not good for you. You say, I'm, not igno I'm ignoring you. So what the Holy Spirit does then? He takes a step back. Son, don't do that. It's not good for you. You still don't listen. He takes another step back. So his voice becomes faint. Where at one point he was right in your ear, now he becomes faint. And because he comes faint, he's come faint because you have become slowly and surely more unconscious of his presence and awareness in your life. So now he, t he takes a step back in that area and he lets you go your own way because he won't force you. Because you have your own will. God does not put his arm up your back. 
He lets you go your own way. Why? Because he wants you to come by your own will, your own free will. So he steps back and he lets you crash and burn. He didn't want to let you crash and burn. He's not sadistic. He tried to warn you. But the fact that you kept saying, Holy Ghost, shut up. I'll do it my own way. I'll get back to you later. So he takes a step back so you can no longer hear his voice anymore. And then you get yourself into a whole mess and then you find yourself in the mud and you cry out. And when you cry out, you find the Holy Ghost comes back. He doesn't say, I told you so, you dead leg. That's not the kind of person he is. His hand comes out. He says, right, okay, now you've tasted a bit of uh, mud. Let me show you how to keep your life clean in the area. Okay, Holy Ghost, please teach me. Teach me, Holy Spirit. He says, okay, I'll teach you, providing you keep listening. And the moment you stop listening, he goes, we're at it again. He takes another step back. And he does it again. And he, rep- and he, lets, it rep- he lets it go. Why? He's got all eternity. You haven't. Now listen to what David said. Then I acknowledge my sin to you. And I did, and did not cover up my iniquity. In other words, I came open, I came honest. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgive the guilt of my sin. Verse 32. Of Psalm th- sorry, verse 5 of Psalm 32. O Lord, you forgive the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely, when the mighty waters rise and they are rising... They will not teach him. They will not reach him, sorry. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. David said, I finally listened. Listen to another version here from the message. Let it all out, I said. I'll make a clean breast of all my failures to God. Suddenly, the pressure was gone. My guilt dissolved. My sin disappeared. These things add up. Every one of us needs to pray. When all hell breaks loose and the dam burst, we'll be on high ground, untouched. But you see, there comes a point when you've got to acknowledge the Holy Spirit wants to clean us up and clean us and clean us out and cleanse us. But you know, you've got to come all the way and acknowledge that God is doing this in people's lives. It, you know, you think, well, I heard a testament. Well, that doesn't sound like a great testament. It's to the person who's, who's, you know, some people are struggling for words to explain what's going on. Other people can wax lyrical. They can tell you wonderfully. Not everyone can explain what's going on. And to do so would take more time than the given. Yes? So, but it's important that we recognize in this house that God is changing lives for the better. And the more that God begins to change lives and you see it, and you see the the fruit of what that person's sharing, the more you might say, you know what? I can't resist him anymore. I can't stay as I was in this church anymore. Now, some of you, some of you may choose to leave because you find it becomes uncomfortable. Because everyone's getting cleaned. Everyone's getting cleared up and cleared out. And you think, you know, I can't sit anymore with any sin in my life because I feel so, I feel so challenged and I don't want to deal with it. So you'll sit there on the edges. I mean, the back row won't be further enough for you. You'll be sitting, we'll be putting seats out in a car park soon. Do you realize the power of God, it's not, a, it's not a problem to get to the back row. Do you know that, don't you? You know, read your Bible, it says, if I make my bed on the far side of the earth, you're there. If I go to the deepest of the ocean, he didn't say if I go to the furthest back of the church, you're not there. God will get us anywhere. God's after us. God's pursuing us. Why? Because we told him to. Last week he said, I'm going to walk through this church. I'm going to proclaim my own name here. 
And then he said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me. So if we're following God, what's going to follow us? Goodness and mercy. His goodness. So it's important that you cleanse your heart before God in his presence because he's merciful. But if you resist him, guess what? He resists the proud. So I'm going to ask Pat to come and give her testimony of what's been happening with her life. And then I'm going to ask John in a minute to give his testimony. morning. Um, when Pastor Peter and Karen came from Australia, I was really, really looking forward to them coming. And on the first night in the Women of Significance meeting, it wasn't anything specific that was said, but the Holy Spirit was obviously moving and working. And he put his finger on something in my life that was very, very deep-seated. And not that I'd forgotten about it, it was just very buried and a long lot something from many, many, many years back. And he put his finger on it and a, an instant there was kind of this, whoa, no, 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 no. And anyway, to carry on, uh, I kept coming back and the Holy Spirit kept saying the same thing. And then it came to the end of the week and the Holy Spirit literally said, you have to respond to this in 24 hours. And... And I did. And I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. It was painful, but I obeyed. And can I just encourage you to respond to the Holy Spirit? Yeah? The minute he says something to you, you respond. Because, you know, my fear was greater of not obeying what the Holy Spirit said than it was with not dealing what he was asking me to deal with. And, you know, since that... I can honestly say it was scary. And since then, I have had absolute, total freedom. I feel like I've had chains just broken off my spirit. And uh, I feel like I'm flying. That's the only way I can describe it. I feel absolutely, totally free. And you know what? I did before, but then the Holy Spirit just highlights something and says, I just need to take that out. I just need to take that bit out because he needs to take us to another level and things need to come out. Amen. So just, I just want to encourage you, if you hear him, respond to him quickly. Amen. Isn't that great? See, the grave clothes have to come off. Many of us, many of us would rather sit in that cave, rotting, stinking, rather than obey the voice that says, come out, take the grave clothes off. We would rather sit there for years. You know, the proof is many of us have sat in those dark caves and we've been frightened. We've dealt with all kinds of things. We've just been sat there, fearful, isolated, felt all alone. And yet a voice comes, a voice. God will always make sure if God sees your heart is tendering, tenderized towards his voice, God will always allow someone to speak. Let me say that again. If your heart, if God sees there is a glimmer of hope in your heart, in other words, you may be stubborn now, but he'll see that if he keeps speaking, because only God knows your heart. If God can see that in your heart, God will keep speaking. God will keep speaking. But when you shut the, whole, the voice of the Holy Spirit, it's like, it's not for me. Oh, they're at it again. It's just them. Then You know, if that's the case, God can no longer speak to you in that area. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you. It doesn't mean to say God's abandoned you. It means he can't speak to you in that area. In that area. And that area can be massive towards your whole life. Yes? God does not reject us. 
You may still love God, but shut him off in that area. But there's a difference between a heart that goes totally cold towards God. You're not having any of me. And the trouble with many of us is that we've been in Christianity for many years and you've all had your own version. You've all drank at different wells. You've all heard different speakers. You've all been raised differently and you've got your opinions and your opinions are the Bible. Until a voice comes, deconstructs you to rebuild you. And guess what? I've had to have it. I've had to have it. We've all got arrogance, if we're honest. We've all got pride. We've all got guilt. We've all got all kinds of things. But the voice of the Holy Spirit must come and speak to us or we're finished. And the mercy of God is to say, Lazarus, come forth. That's the mercy of God to us. And you say, well, if I, if I allow the Holy Spirit to come inside my life, things will change. Absolutely. That's why he's calling. You say, well, I'm pretty safe, I'm pretty cool, I'm okay. Well, guess what? If you're pretty safe, you're okay, you might as well go to heaven. Because that's not what our Bible teaches. We're going from one degree of glory to the other. And he who began a good work in you will see it through to the day of completion. But you're saying you're complete. You're complete at 45, 54, 60, whatever it is. I'm not complete. You know, when... He said about David, when he finished the purposes of God, then he went home. And when I look at Walter and I look at Margaret, I look at two stalwart Christians, believers, they're not finished. They're not just using my oxygen. They're not. I look at Dorothy, David and Beatrice. I look at the older ones amongst us. They're not just using our oxygen, people. They've got a purpose. A purpose. The Bible says you'll keep them green in their old age. Grass on my, grass on my street. It might be grey, but it's still there. When you get to 50, you don't care what colour it is. Amen? But you see, the moment you ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit, you change your garments. The Bible gives you a robe of righteousness. You have a robe of righteousness. You are made righteous because you're in Christ. But when you ignore the voice of the Holy Spirit and you allow sin to entice you and take you away, and you become hard in your heart towards him. You then become taken away and you change your robe and you put it and it's labeled guilt, shame, condemnation, ignorance, disobedience, whatever label you want to put on it. And the voice of the Holy Spirit just wants to speak to us again and remind us. That, hey, let me take the great clothes off. It's time to come out the graves. God exposed everything. Those who were in the grave, he took them out. It's amazing. Here's a bit of hope for you all. That when they died, the body decayed. But when they got out, they didn't come as skeletons. It wasn't Jason and the Argonauts. Do you remember that movie? Jason and the Argonauts, skeletons like that. No, no. Flesh and blood rose from that grave. Or those graves. And they weren't stinking. And when Lazarus was in that grave, he was stinking, stinketh. I think the, the King James says, they stinketh. Reek like hell, more like it. And he said, come out. Come out of there. And as he came out, he said, take the garments off. Why? Because he wants to expose everything. Now that's where we get frightened. That's where we really get fearful. But the Holy Ghost has a way of exposing us without exposing us to everyone. You have to be exposed before the Father. That's why we were singing this morning, here I will bow down. 
Here I will worship. Make an altar. Find a place, an altar. Here I will say, I need you. See, that's exposure. I need you. That's exposure. David said, you know, what was he said? Then I acknowledge my sin to you. And I did not cover up my iniquity. And I said, I confess my transgression to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. And then he says, therefore, let everyone who is godly, everyone who is godly, pray to you that you may be found surely when the waters rise and they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You see, now you're not in a cave. Now you're in him. And in him there is light. Amen. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull. For, this, for to this day, the same veil remains. When the old covenant is read, it has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. Can you imagine if we read this in Jerusalem? Every synagogue up and down the world, around the world, we could say, read 2 Corinthians 3. But when anyone turns to the Lord, when anyone turns, let me say that again, when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is what? Taken away. Why? Because that's what that, what that is. The Holy Spirit's in the background. The moment you turn and say, Lord, I need you, the Holy Spirit comes, takes the veil away. And says, now you can see. I can see you. Peekaboo. Now the Holy Spirit shows you what your heart is like. And then you begin to realize, I cannot believe my heart was so dirty. I cannot believe I carried this shame, this guilt, this unforgiveness towards him, her, them. And, and then he begins to show you the depth of how it went through every part of your body. That's the mercy of God to show you. Not just to convict you, but to show you. And you say, oh God, cleanse my heart. I don't want to be like that anymore. I want to be clean. I want to be open. I want to give you everything that's in my heart. And the Lord says, that's what I love. I'm drawn to cleanliness. I'm drawn to the light. I love when my children say, Lord, I need you. I love it when my children come open and say, Lord, take the grave clothes off my thinking. Take the grave clothes off my heart. Take the grave clothes off my marriage. Take the grave clothes off my relationship with my children. Take the grave clothes off with my daughter or my son or my boss or my friends, whatever. He just loves to hear, take the grave clothes off, Lord. Expose me. Here I am, Lord. I don't care. I was born naked and now I'm still naked before you. When I appear before you, I'm naked. The only robe I've got is the one called righteousness. And probably it's see-through. Yeah? This is what the Holy Spirit wants to do. And then in John 14, verse 24, John 14, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the counselor, who is the counselor? Well, he says, it's the Holy Spirit whom the father will send in my name will teach you all things. And will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. The Holy Spirit. It's so easy, you know, when you're listening to 
my voice or anybody else's voice to say, you know, it's just him. But here, the Bible says these words you are here are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. This morning, these words are not my own. They belong to the one who has given them me. To share with you this morning. Why? Because he sees many Lazaruses. And you know, over the last couple of weeks, we've heard, or by the time John shares in a minute, we would have heard 10 testimonies. I think 10, I think 10 is a good number to prove that God is doing something in the lives of this church. One, you could say, well, that's just him. But 10? And you can sit there and say, well, I'll ignore it. Well, ignore it. Still doesn't go away. 10 lives are being changed. 10 lives are being changed. And they're the ones who have got up and shared what's happening. They're the ones who said, I can actually feel a testimony. Now, many of you have also had a touch of God, but it's not yet birthed as a testimony. So we could actually easily line up another 10. That would give us 20. Your argument's getting pretty tough now, isn't it? It's getting weaker and weaker by the moment. Well, it's not going to touch me. Don't say that. I saw a man in this church freak the ones out on the back row. In the back row, a big bloke. Many of you remember Dennis McCarthy. Some of, well, some of you will remember Dennis McCarthy. Dennis was a big bloke. And I remember God moving. And Dennis kept sitting further and further back because he realised that the Holy Spirit was moving and he didn't want it. But the Holy Spirit wanted him. So Dennis kept sitting further and further and further back until he got to the back row. And then one morning, we're just worshipping, we heard this almighty bang. Dennis had fallen off his seat. And we rushed over thinking there was something wrong. Dennis is spark out in the spirit. Smile on his face. We think, okay, Holy Ghost has got him. So the following week, Dennis is still resistant. The Holy Spirit is saying, okay, you didn't respond to me the first time. I'll get you a second time. I know where you live. So the second week, Dennis is on the back row again. Smack. He falls off his chair again. No explanation for it. This is a big guy. He's not, he's not like he's swinging on the chair. There are those chairs, so you can't swing on them. Yeah? Sometimes the, the bolts in those chairs stick up your backside. They might get you off the chair, but no, that, this wasn't what was happening. Dennis was sat in the back chair. Bang! Dennis goes off. We rush his over. Are you okay, Dennis? Yeah, yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Said so Dennis, you, there may be something you may to give up. You may need to give over. The Holy Spirit keeps seems to be clobbering you like this. I think he wants a conversation with you. So Dennis, like you know, well, uh, you know, I'm not. And his mother's. His, anybody knew his mother, Edith? That was it. That was like the Godfather or the Godmother. You know, she would come in and give him the, you know, the the, the popal blessing. Dennis, she used to look at him like that. If he doesn't kill you, I will. Lay down. Stay down, boy. Let him do his thing. Well, Dennis, third, second time he gets up, still wouldn't let the Holy Ghost have him. Third time, same again happens. Three weeks on the trot, Dennis falls on the, off his seat. No reason for it. Smack the third time. Do you know where he is today? Through ignoring the Holy Ghost? Sat in a one-bedroom flat with his, with his TV. One-bedroom flat. What does that tell you? One bedroom flat. I bumped into him last year and I spoke to him. His whole life went down the pan. Why? Because he would not let go of what the Holy Spirit was trying to call him out the grave. Dennis, take those grave clothes off. It's going to kill you. If you stay like that, it'll kill you. Dennis kept resisting the Holy Spirit. And to this day, God let me see. God let me see him in the street. 
And he tried to make it sound really, you know, he's in a good place. And I looked at him and I wanted to cry for him. I thought, shame, what a shame that he allowed his heart to become so closed that he would not let the Holy Ghost. Listen, when the Holy Spirit's calling you and convicting you, it's because he knows what's, where, where you're going. He knows what you're heading into. And if you keep ignoring him, he can't save you. And you and seeing this ignorance, this ignorance, that's all it is. This veiled ignorance that says, God loves me, he'll protect me. It's ignorance and it's a lie. God works with those who make right decisions. When you don't know God, that's different. But when you do know God or you claim to know him, that's different. You see, if you don't know my house or my rules, you get away with dropping things. You get away with slurping your tea at the table. You get away with slapping your chops when you're eating. But you've been there five minutes, you're going to know the rules. And if you don't know, you're going to get the furry side of my hand. Why? Because you can't slap your chops in my house. You close your mouth when you eat. That's my rule. Is that okay? Is it my table? It's my rule. If I come to your house and you all eat there, it's like a train wreck coming out your mouth. I just know. Shut up. Suck it up. But if you're like that, sharing food with one another, that's not my thing. But if you come to my house, it is my rule. And it's okay if it's in my house. Now, it's just a, a basic rule. It could get you to slap, but it's a basic rule. But you're, you're entitled to your rules, but God has his rules. And if you're going to do silly things, God's going to try and speak, speak to you. God's going to pursue you. God's going to head you off at the past. But once he speaks to you, he will not keep coming. Say, I told you, come on, come on, oh, stay with me, stay with me, stay with me. Why? Because it's a walk of obedience. John, why don't you come and share yours testimony? Another story of how someone, God's called him out of the grave. John rises up. Um, my prelude to what happened when Pastor uh, Pete and Karen were here started in November when I was uh, given a brand new job uh, in a field that I've wanted to do for years. Uh, so doing that, taking that step to do that job meant I had to take a, a massive pay cut, which we were struggling anyway. Um, so it comes to the day I finished, the night I finished at Tesco, I said to God, as I was getting in bed, it can only be you. you could, you've got to sort our finances out. Went to bed, went out on the Saturday, got home and uh, had a phone call off the bank to say, you've got a loan. You can reconsolidate all your debts, start again. So we did, and we're in a lot better position. Pastor Pete and Karen came, uh, got prayed for on the Wednesday night. He didn't even go anywhere near me, I don't think. I just went, gone. Um, and it's taken me a while to kind of process what was going on. And it wasn't until I met with some friends and we were talking about it and saying, you know, kind of what, what happened with you, what happened with you. And it suddenly dawned on me what actually happened. It was as if God had sorted our worldly problems out in our finances and things like that, and said, right, that's done. When I got prayed for, he sorted my foundational things out and said, right, now you have a new foundation. You can start again, start building your house again. And I really feel that's where I'm going. I'm building again. Uh, Tony alluded to it the other week when he said about cutting your cloth according to his plan and his purpose, not using your plan. And... Me personally, I fully intend doing that. I fully intend to just draw on his plans and use his uh, guidance now 
because he's moved us, uh, he's moved my relationship with my wife into a stronger position. Um, and now it's time for to give back because he's given me so much. You know, it's so, it's so good to see these young guys really getting touched by the Holy Ghost. I remember that night when John was in, in the annex over there. See, like I said to you not so long ago, there's always places in the church where you have an encounter with God. And I always remember that pillar there is where I had an encounter with God. Here I've had an encounter with God. There I've had an encounter with God. I've had certain places, and the kind of places that give me confidence to know that, you know, there's a part of me that says, if I stand in, he might come and talk to me again. <laughs> but it was good to see John just getting smashed by the Holy Ghost. And, you know, everything inside me leapt. I thought, oh, go for it, Lord. Go for it. And then I see Dave and I see the younguns. Say the younguns because they're younger than me. Uh, they can't run faster than me, but they're younger than me. I see these guys getting smashed in the Holy Spirit. And then I hear Pastor Peter just putting words over people that he didn't know, doesn't know, never read their emails. But you just know the Holy Spirit is so clear, sowing into people's lives. And, you know, and it's so important that God wants you, you guys to know that, God just didn't turn up and left when Pastor Pete left. God was here before he got here. He's been here for many, many years. And, and he's still here. You know, it's not, you know, all, you know, God doesn't speak when Pastor Peter comes in. You know, God's speaking right now. And, and continue to speak. Why? Because he's God. It's God. It's not about, it's not about any individual person. But as individual per- people listen to the will of God for your life, at that moment, destiny can kiss each other. When you're fertile, the Holy Spirit is always fertile. But the Holy Spirit is waiting for you. And there was such a hunger, and there is such a hunger stirring in people's hearts. Right now, anything can happen in the church. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. And some of you will sit there, yes, the dead will be raised. And when I say the dead will be raised, I mean some of you sitting in your chairs. will suddenly get the Holy Ghost on you, and you'll change. You'll be transformed. Once I was dead, now I've been made alive. And you see, the Holy Spirit is so, so clear about what he wants to do. He's so clear what he wants to do. We will not stop pursuing God. Whether you've got a we shall not be moved attitude, we've got we will be moved attitude. We will, we've got a, a we will be changed attitude. And our attitude is stronger than yours. Why? Because those who are for it are far greater than those who are resisting it. Now we resist for different reasons. We resist for different reasons. You know, one of the greatest resistance in church history is not because they're against you, it's because they don't understand you. And that's why I will not be quick to run ahead. I'll keep on saying the same things over again until we get you on the page. Until you eventually come before God and say, now I understand. And that's okay. Now, if you do understand you resist, then take it up with God. But if you don't understand, we'll keep on teaching and speaking and praying and prophesying until something clicks. And if it takes another man to come in and say what we've been saying, wonderful, who cares? It's not about, well, why is it when you come, you get all the glory? I've been here for ages. It's not like that. Because when I go into his church, I say the same things to his people. Oh, I will say the same thing when I'm going back. See, when I prophesied, him, when I prophesied over Peter here, I don't know if you remember, I prophesied over him on the Sunday. Right? And I prophesied about a, a gold pen coming in his hand. Right? What you don't know is that when I prophesied over him, he said, no one knows that we've set a week to go and write. I write a book and put our resources. He said, that really spoke to me, that this was a confirmation. Do what you're going to do. So that's okay. I, he can speak to us. I can speak to him. He speaks to me. It's not a problem. Our hearts are open. Thank God someone's speaking. 
Thank God someone's speaking. Well, it was a silver pen. Who cares? <laughs> well, actually, technically, I don't write. I use a computer. Duh. If you want to be stupid, fine. But the Holy Ghost is doing something very powerful amongst us. And if you're just coming in into the church at this time, get, get ready. Because you're not going to be able to sit in your seat. The presence of God is going to become so strong. Last Sunday night, oh my God. It was strong. Some people are saying, well, that's the best yet. Now, here's the thing about the best. The best is the one you needed at the time. It's not the best. It wasn't my best. But it was the best for you. Wonderful. But it's the one you need at the time. What's the best book you've ever read? The one you needed. Yeah? So let's stand to our feet, if we will. And I really want to encourage you to not resist God anymore. That when you come in, when you come into his presence, wherever you come into his presence, whether it's in your home or whether it's in a church, be mindful of the fact that the Holy Spirit, the first thing he will do is uncover. Because if you want right relationship with God, right relationship means he has to uncover. He has to uncover. Now, when the ladies were meeting here this week in the, women, in the meeting places of God, ladies, if you don't know what it's about, come and I, I strongly one of our ladies and find out what's going on. I, you know, I'm hearing great things without knowing what's going on. I'm hearing good things because I said I don't want to know what, what's going on. That's what they talk about is what they talk about. What I talk about is what I talk about. Yeah? Men, get ready for the journey. Get ready for a journey. God's going to reveal some things you didn't know you had. But he doesn't do it to shame you. He does it to help us to go from one degree to another. Um, I'm really, really pumped about this man up. It's time for men to man up. Ladies, will you woman up? We'll man up. And uh, the youth, the youth, I'm really pumped about what God's doing. But right now, God has got us just where he wants us. So if you raise your hands with me, if you will. Well, let's, let's surrender afresh. To the Holy Spirit. You know it would have been so easy to call you out this morning and pray. And get God to you know. To use the atmosphere for you to take your grave clothes off. You know. No, no, no. There's some words. You have to come willingly. You have to come willingly. No one's going to force you. We're not going to manipulate or hijack the atmosphere. Just so that you can do that. Go into your room. Find a place. Talk with God. Acknowledge, you don't have to have any special formulated prayer. Just tell him what's in your heart. Just tell him, just speak as you, as you would do not normally. You don't have to formulate anything, but just let him know what your heart is like and ask him to come and change it. And then I want to encourage you to do something else. I want you to go and find a person in this church who you know carries a good, healthy maturity about them. And I want you to say, look, I need some help in the Holy Spirit. I need some help in God. You don't have to know what the problem is, but I just need to glean from your strength. And that's the time, very often we think we can do it on our own. You cannot do it on your own. You was not created to be on your own. Spiritually, two is always better than one. Find someone. Come and talk to me. Ask for my help. If it's a girl thing, then we'll connect you with the right person. Do not worry, but find help today. Find help. You go out the door, you'll never grow on your own. You'll never grow on your own. But right now, put your heart before God and say, Lord, you're tenderizing me. You're opening my heart, oh God. 
Lord God, I feel the, the, the exposure of the Holy Spirit upon my heart more and more as I gather in your presence. Lord, I don't, I don't want to feel ashamed. I want it in the open, just as we heard this morning. How I was willing to come out the closet and share what was in my heart, though it was painful and hurtful. Lord, I acknowledge my sin to you and you forgave me. You, you, you took me from one degree to another. Lord, when the waters rise, I will be saved. That's what David said. And the waters will rise and some people will drown. But others who are smart will go to the Lord and will speak to him. And he'll take you out of that troublesome uh, situation and he'll set your feet higher. And the Bible says he set my feet upon the rock. And the rock symbolizes Jesus Christ. It's time to move the stone away. I say it's time to move the stone away from your life. And let the light of God into your cave. No longer can you keep living with this darkness. This concealed identity. Rise up. And let the life and the life of God come into your heart. Let the fragrance of Christ fill you in Jesus name we hope you enjoyed this podcast for more information go to www.thedreamcentre.co.uk